How do you follow that, huh? Well, I want to uh, thank you all for being here tonight. It's great having our family in the South Bay together. Amen. And uh, the title of the message is this evening, Go Fish. Now, you may be wondering why. What, what is the issue with fishing? Uh, we have some, uh, actually, I've got little reminders we're going to pass out to you, too, that you can put on your mirror or wherever, uh, hang it from your uh, rearview mirror in your car, just for the sake of reminder. But uh, the title of the message tonight, obviously, Go Fish. So there's going to be several things we're looking at. Uh, I want to take a look at evangelism. Uh, boldness when it comes to evangelism and our giving. And we're family, right? This is a midweek. This gives us an opportunity as family to work on things together as family. Amen? With that, I want to start out in a uh, passage we're all pretty familiar with, and that's uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. If you'll read along there with me. Matthew 28, verse 18. You know what? I guess I am not linked. Give me a second here. <laughs> okay. As I turned it off. <laughs> now, there we go. We're good. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came near and said to them, and this is the uh, Holman's translation for those of you that may see a few words off here. It says, And Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, we, uh, we're looking at uh, the words of Jesus this month. Uh, many of you are aware of the fact that our new series is Red Letter Revolution, obviously taking a look at the words of Jesus in the Bible. And as we look at this directive that he's given us here, it's just that. It's an imperative. It's a directive. It's a command to fish, to go fish. And it's very clear why Jesus came. Can anybody uh, fill in the, the gap there? Why did Jesus come? Seek and save the lost. God wants everyone to have the opportunity to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. And Jesus wants us to be the means of that happening. Again, it's a command. We have been commissioned. And at the point in time that we make Jesus Lord of our lives, what does that say about the commission we've been given? What is the thing that you said when you entered the waters of baptism, for those of you that are disciples? Jesus is Lord. That's acceptance of that commission. You know, um, just kind of taking a look at things right now throughout the South Bay. And to me, it's very sobering, but these situations do change. And one of the things I love about disciples is when there's clarity and there's communication on the state of affairs, there's repentance that takes place. Out of all of our group in the South Bay, teens campus, or excuse me, teens, singles, and marrieds, we have two men studying the Bible right now. Women are doing a little bit better, but again, it's just a little bit better. There's six women studying the Bible. And I think when we think about that, for me, what that tells me is there's very few of us that are fishing. Some of us aren't fishing at all. And we're going to take a look at a couple passages tonight that you may be a little challenged by. My, my challenge to you on that would be, if that's how you feel tonight, you get to the bottom of why you feel that way. 
Take the time to assess where you're really at. Take the time to go back through the scriptures. The notes of the lesson will be out tonight as well as a commentary on John 15. So you have the opportunity to spend some time kind of reading through, reflecting upon. And prayerfully, if there is the need to change, that change will follow suit. Galatians 5, verse 22. Oh, you know, actually I have a video. We have um, audio. From everything I read in this book, everything I understand about this book, I believe we grossly underestimate God. Like we, we totally don't realize how stunned we are going to be when we first see his face. And, and I think we, we, we're, we're, we're severely like... Uh, misunderstanding it, it, just how serious it is when Jesus Christ gives a command. Like, I, I don't think we get, like, he sent us, he put us on a mission, like you and I, we exist, I'm on this earth on a mission, and I, and I think we miss that, like, we don't understand how huge that is. For, for Jesus to rise from the grave and to say every ounce of authority that exists is right here and here's what I'm telling you I want you to do with your life. Go and make disciples. And so for us to ignore that, to, for us to come to, our, to the end of our lives and, and then come before Almighty God and say I did not make a single disciple. I, I mean we got to understand that's a really, really big deal. To know that came out of the mouth of Christ, and that we can't point to any disciples. And, and just to make sure we're all on the same page here, I mean, understand the context of the Great Commission, to understand that Jesus rising from the grave, gathering his followers together on that mountain, and giving this message saying, hey, go, go into all the world, and make disciples of all the nations. Do we understand, do we all agree that he was not talking about just you guys discipling one another? He was saying, you've got to get this message to the whole world. Somehow, I want, I want followers from every nation. You need to get out there. Get this message. Do you understand? I mean, you see the context of when Jesus spoke that. He was saying, reach the people who have not been reached. He was not saying, okay, you group of people, you disciple him, and you guys just make a little circle and disciple each other for years and years and years. He's saying, no, you've got to get this message out there. You've got to reach these people. But I get it. It's it's hard. It, it's it's very very difficult. Um, I don't like sharing my faith. I, I like this. This I don't mind. This is easy to me. I'd rather preach. I'd rather write. I'd rather, you know, I don't know, put together sermons counsel people on the golf course you know it's like I, I'll do anything but to go up to a stranger 
who doesn't know God, in our culture where that's just seen as so wrong to push your beliefs on someone else, but to to look at someone in the eyes knowing ahead of time that he's probably going to think that my morals and this idea of one way getting to heaven and and them needing to trust in Jesus for their salvation is going to be so offensive to them. Knowing that that Jesus calls people to repent and turn from their ways and to follow him. Knowing that they're going to be so opposed to that. That's so hard for me to muster up the courage to do that. Because, you know, I hate being rejected. So I get it. I understand why we don't. I don't like to be rejected. I, I, I don't even, sometimes I don't even know how to start the conversation like, how do I get started talking about this? Sometimes I, I get so nervous and so scared. Like, how do I start this? And then I start thinking, okay, what if they start asking me about things that I don't know about? What if they ask me questions that I can't answer? And so all of these things. And then above all that, I'm the type of person where I hate conflict. I, I'm just, you know, some people, they like to argue. I don't like to argue. It's like, oh, whatever. I don't care. And so the thought of going up to someone, offending them, and then trying to tell them that they need Jesus is not my favorite thing to do. And so I get it. I understand. It's difficult. But God Almighty, like God, my creator, said, go make disciples. So I don't want to sit and make excuses. You know, I think one of the things we've got to ask ourselves, looking at that passage and just even hearing some of the things that he shared in that video, it's great that we're part of a discipling ministry. It's great that we have help as singles. It's great that we have help as marrieds. It's great that we're given the opportunity to help refine each other and to grow and mature and become more like Christ. But if the people that have come before us, there was this proliferation of what's taking place in our fellowship now, would any of us be here today? It is a good question. I think it's something that we need to really contemplate. You know, before we go to John 15, I want to spend a little bit of time in Galatians 5. And there there seems to be a little bit of confusion over the type of fruit that Jesus is talking about in John 15. So we'll start with one that a lot of people like to go to, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22. And it's a good fruit, amen? Because if we've been baptized into Christ and our sins have been forgiven, it's something that should reside... That fruit of the Spirit should reside within each and every one of us. Galatians 5 verse 22 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What does the law do? Just think, think about this for a minute. What does the law do without Christ? If there was no Christ what does the law do? What's the significance of the law for each and every one of us? Yeah, death. And that, who can adhere to it all? 
But just really understanding that's the gift of grace that we've received through God, that Jesus Christ came and died for us personally so that the law would not be something that could be hung over our heads anymore. You know, just thinking that through, I mean, the, the very thing that we are able to circumvent because of Christ is the very thing that hangs over the heads of non-Christians. Without Christ in your life, you'll be judged by the law. Or your conscience. When it comes to either one of those, um, I'm very grateful that I'm going to be judged because of what Jesus Christ was willing to do for me personally. It says, now that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, thinking about what Jesus has done for us and the calling that we have through Christ, we look at these two verses here, what takes place here, what we see there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Jesus demonstrated that in his life, in his walk, through his convictions, who he interacted with, crossing cultural barriers, gender barriers, whatever it may be, so that everyone would have the opportunity for salvation. And this is a standard that we're all called to uphold. See, fruit of the Spirit is what we need to fish. Now, when it comes to fishing, we've got a few fishermen in the group. Where's Rudy at? You fish, right? Where's Jay? You do a little fishing? You know, thinking that through, when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, to me there's a number of those attributes that will make the difference between whether or not you're successful as a fisherman or not. I love fishing. Brings me joy, brings me peace, requires patience, requires faith, self-control. I always catch fish when I go fishing. And I know that's a closed-in statement, but it's a true one. Yes, it is. And can anybody tell me why? That is exactly the case. I will not go home until I've caught something. That is a very Now, uh, there's no hook, so don't get overly uptight here. But, you know, when you fish, you're called to, uh, <laughs> you're called to, uh, one of the things they uh, mention, oh, I think I <laughs> had a strike there. <laughs> but, you know, when you're, when you're working the shore, one of the things that they'll tell you to do is to work 180 degrees from where you're at. So you just kind of work that 180 degrees and... You keep working it, you keep working it, until you get something. Uh-oh. Oh, got a beam that time. And the thing is, you never know where the fish exactly are. But the more ground that you cover, the more opportunities you have to actually catch something. I didn't want to hit you. Let's see, open your mouth, babe. <laughs> Try my flipping skills here. Go ahead and continue, Tommy. The more ground you cover, the more casts you take, the better chance you have of catching something. Isn't that the same thing with evangelism? Yeah. Not everyone's going to be a yes. And there's going to be a lot of no's. There's going to be a lot of rejection. And with that, it takes a little bit of patience.
got, got the stringer. So when it comes to being evangelistic, do we not all have that gift of the Holy Spirit? Do we not have the fruit of the Spirit? So I think it's probably worth taking a little bit of time to break down the components in this passage that you're the weakest at. Maybe it's self-control. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's faith. With faith, obviously, engaging with prayer and fasting. Whatever it's going to take so that we engage on this level all of the time. Matthew 9, verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is abundant. Jesus said it. So what does that mean? It's true. It's abundant. Jesus would say that there's an abundance of open people out there today in the workplace in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, our jobs, schools, etc. Wherever it is that we're at, they're out there. So where are we when it comes to the harvest? I think there's two major issues as to why things are where they're at. We're not fishing. Or we're not fishing where the fish are. And we're not harvesting what is right. You ever uh, picked an apple off of a tree before it's ready? Green apple, you know, especially if it's supposed to be like a, you know, whatever, a Fuji apple, Roman Delicious, or Macintosh. We got our produce guy here. He can fill you in on the various varieties and, and what to look for. But, you know, the green apples, they're not ripe. They're hard as a rock. No taste. No sweetness. But are those the ones that are supposed to be harvested? I think a lot of times, those are the individuals that we focus on the most. Those are the individuals we spend the most time on. Those that aren't right. And what that means is I think we've got to look beyond our preference, our personal preference of who you want to save and locate those that God has ripened. You know, this is the thing that's awesome about this is we can reap where others have sown. We can engage and go after and find that ripe fruit. Jesus says it's abundant. See, in evangelism, we need to refer to people ready to respond to the gospel. The thing that we look at those people right now is like that red, juicy, sweet, ripe apple. They're ripe to the gospel. And those that really aren't ready, they're green apples. You know, we look at what we got going on in Matthew 9 here, Jesus' interaction with people if we really focus on those red letters and what Jesus says and what he demonstrated with the people that he engaged with, we'd see and take a look at the Gospels and see them differently. See, Jesus Christ constantly cut through the crowd that was filled with green apples to focus his, take his focus on those that were ripe, those red apples, those who were ready for the message. He left a crowd of green apples to talk to somebody who was very unlikely in Zacchaeus. He turned to a desperate woman with the issue of her bleeding Even though she was surrounded by the masses, Jesus picked her out. 
She was ripe. She was ready. She reached out. And he knew he'd been touched by that individual in the midst of this melu of a crowd. He stopped for the centurion, somebody that he shouldn't even have stopped for. One of the Roman oppressors, a Gentile. He stopped for that centurion, determined to see his daughter healed. He embraced the woman shamed by her sin who was despised by the crowd. He talked at great length with Nicodemus who longed for more than a life without purpose. See, in every instance, Jesus invested in the ripe red apples. Those with a readiness to abandon the life that they currently are a part of for something new. Taking what they knew, trading it in for something new because they knew there was more. They knew there was something better. And repeatedly, Christ even explained his rationale. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Those who are well don't need a physician. And there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, Jesus gave time without limit to the red apples, but didn't really give a whole lot of time to the green apples. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked what I must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus cut right through the smoke and mirrors. You know, he used the law to elicit response from this individual, and we got a kind of a prideful response back. All these things I have kept from my youth, I've done them all. So really, what do I lack? And Jesus' response was, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Now, why did Jesus do this? Was was he adverse to people having stuff? No. No, not at all. He knew that this guy divesting of himself of his personal wealth wouldn't give him eternal life. But because of his refusal to do so, it revealed his unreadiness for a God other than his own personal God of his possessions. You know, the revealing of a green apple's unripeness was common with Christ. In the closing verses in Luke 9, we saw these on a Sunday night just a few weeks back. Jesus had three quick encounters with green apples as he walked down the road. Two expressed a desire to follow Christ. The 30 invited. And in each instance, Christ's response was revealed through the individual's unripeness. You're not ready to follow me. I don't have a place to lay my head. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. And followers don't look back. You're unfit. Too shallow, too superficial, too slow. In each one of those instances when it came to Christ's calling. So when people became aware of their own personal sin... They're open to complete life of transformation. They become humbled enough to see their needs, and they become ripe. They're ready for those bringing the gospel. Those are the ones that Christ sought. And making sure that we use all the different opportunities we have in the course of a day. I can tell by the looks on some of your faces that there's disbelief tonight that I'm talking about evangelism. And, you know, we saw it with Francis. Francis is uncomfortable with it. I think his degree of lack of comfort is greater than mine. For me, the, the biggest thing is just being, having that degree of awareness, being sensitive. You know, Jesus saw the condition of the crowds. I had an opportunity on the way, back, or on the way out to uh, New York to visit my family. It was a young lady and a young man sitting next to me. You get to talking and you get to learn a little bit about people. And, you know, she was talking about a failed relationship that she was in. 
So I decided I'd, I'd spend the time talking to her a little bit about my background and what had gone on, and I shared with her that I was a minister. You know, when you, when you open that can, it goes one of two ways. Either people tune out and, okay, I'm done, or there's an interest. This woman was right. So out of a failed relationship, she was 26 years old. She'd already, she had had a, a three-year tour of duty in the Air Force. Had just started her own business, and that was kind of the trigger. And we've got to be listening for those little words that give us something to connect on. She's starting a business where she's, into, uh, she's an events coordinator is what she's doing. I'm thinking, well, done a little bit of that in my life, as has my wife. Started talking about our Women's Day and the different events that were going on. So, you know, she goes, I, I really blew it with this guy. I, I love God but I put God on hold. I pursued this relationship and it almost destroyed my life. Definitely destroyed my relationship with God and I've already made this commitment to myself. I'm not dating until I get my relationship with God up straight again and I want to date Christian men. So uh, I got off the plane. She gave me her email address and her phone number. I immediately got into touch with Angie Nakamoto on the west side. Uh, I got back on a plane. Got off the plane again in New York, only find out that Angie had already contacted her. She wants to come on out to church, and uh, prayerfully we'll get her on out to Women's Day as well. But it's just a matter of seizing those opportunities when they come. It, you don't have to. Guys, there are so many opportunities that each one of us are oblivious to on a daily basis. We shouldn't have to think about going out and knocking doors or going to the mall. Because there are more than enough opportunities on a daily basis you probably have and don't even realize it, 15 to 20 touch points a day. Gas station, Starbucks, those of you that hit Starbucks two or three times, there's two or three opportunities. <laughs> Grocery store on the way home, walking out to the mailbox at your apartment complex, walking your dog, taking the trash out, getting the mail. Guys, do, do the list. I mean, I'm sure you can add another 10 or 15 of those without even really giving it much thought. We've got to be willing to engage. And with that, let's follow Jesus' example. Let's take a look at John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You know, the particular fruit that's being talked about here is kapvos in the Greek. And it has to do with fruit that is a part of production, whether it would be a harvest, um, whatever the case may be. And Jesus talks about this particular type of fruit many, many times in the New Testament. The likes of Matthew 3, verse 10, 7, 19, 15, 13, Luke 3, 9, Luke 13, 6 through 9, where he talks about trees that don't produce. And what does he usually say about them? Cut them down, burn them. Why waste the soil they're in? You know, and there are those instances where one tree in particular, he gave it another season. But the result of that additional time was if it didn't change up, it needed to be uprooted. And we need to understand that the fruit that's being talked about right here in these verses are us. This is the kind of fruit, fruit of production, fruit of a harvest. There's another kind of fruit that he talks about in the passage a little bit further in, but just hold that thought for a moment. In verse 3, it says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. This is another potential challenge that we may be faced with 
Are we abiding in Christ? Do we remain in Christ? The Holy Spirit's within us. Jesus resides in us through the Spirit. But what are we doing with that Spirit? Are we feeding it? Are we fanning it? Are we listening to it? Or do we ignore it? See, if we live in accordance with Christ, if we're in the Scriptures, if we're praying, if we're truly living the life of disciples, we're engaged on this level. There is that awareness. Now, that can fall into something else. We've all experienced it where there's that awareness. You know, you're waiting in a grocery line, and you start looking around, and the line's getting long behind you, and, you know, you're thinking, man, if I, if I start talking about this, I'm gonna, people behind me are going to get ticked off, or, you know, maybe this person is going to want to be talking with me about this here in a public place, and you just start running through all these reasons and excuses to why you can't engage. That's different. You've heard the Spirit. You've denied the Spirit in those situations. And so there's other things we need to work on. We need to work on our courage. We need to work on that relationship with God. We need to rely on Jesus for that ability to interact in those situations. But it continues here in verse 5. It says, I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Again, it's all about our relationship with God. Outside of God, outside of the relationship with Christ, it's very clear. We can do nothing. And for me as a minister, this is concerning. Because when nothing's going on, what does that say about our relationship with God? Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what the master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. You should go out and produce fruit. And that fruit, and that your fruit, should remain. So whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. And this is what I command you, love one another. This is the other form of fruit. Right here in this, uh, in verse 16, we took a look at captos. This is capvos, almost identical. One one consonant that's different. Verse 16, he says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and produce fruit, captos, that your fruit, capvos, should remain." He's talking about the spirit that's in us. There's the contrast. We've already received the Holy Spirit, and that resides within us. And he's calling us to make sure that we remain and we abide in him. That what we've been given, we don't lose. But the direction for us, with that fruit that that is in us, if we're walking in accordance with what Jesus has called us to, then we will engage and take to heart what we see in John 15, what we see in the likes of Matthew 28, and give others the opportunity that's been given to us. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 is because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we had known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, in verse 11, it says, Because we know and fear God, we try to persuade others. You know, we, we sing songs about what it's going to be like to be in heaven. And in some ways, that can be a little overwhelming, coming face-to-face -face with God for the first time. The very individual that breathed breath into us, the creator, there's power there. There's a lot going on. And really understanding what it is to acknowledge God for who he is, that degree of worship, that understanding of what a powerful creator, that he would even give thought to us, and even more so, send Jesus Christ so that we could be reconciled to him. We don't like the word fear. But, you know, I look back at the situation growing up. I know my parents loved me. I know they wanted me to do the right thing. They, they were a little, uh, my mom in particular, a little out of control, over the top from time to time. But, you know, in some ways, I might not be here today if it wasn't for some of that. There was a, a healthy fear of my mom. You know, I, it definitely had me count the cost from time to time on, okay, if I go down this road, I know what the potential results are going to be. Is it even worth engaging on that level? I'd like to say there were more times that I would have uh, said no and I'm not going to go down that road than I did, but, you know, it, it was something that really made me assess where I'm at, what I want to do, and it needs to be that way with God. We know what Jesus has called us to, but do we have that healthy respect? Do we have that fear? Are we willing to acknowledge God as our creator? Is he somebody we keep in a box, kind of, you know, rub that little bottle from time to time, I want this, I need that, do this, do that, and we're, we, we basically utilize God to facilitate what we want, rather than understanding that we've got eternal life. It's ours now. 
as Christians. And shouldn't that be enough? But losing sight of who God is and what God has done through his son. Any of you remember the thought, uh, ever, you ever have any, your, one of the parents say to you, you know, wait till your dad gets home, wait till your mom gets home. We need to think that way about God. Someday we're going to be on his porch, his front steps, beginning of that, at the opening of that gate. We've got to make sure that we're not marginalizing God anymore. Amen. He talks about, Paul talks about here in verse 14 through 15, we are compelled by what? Christ's love not to live for self. We are here because others were compelled by Christ's love. And they thought way more about you than they did about themselves. The late night studies, you know who you are. Some of you had gestation periods of three, four, five, ten years before you became Christians. And you had people constantly following up with you, calling you, praying for you. That's, that's being selfless. And that's what we're called to be. We are Christ's representatives. Verse 20, we're ambassadors. And with that, we are called to reconcile others to God. Acts 8, verse 1. I'm going to take a look at the boldness component here. Acts 8, verse 1, it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death, referencing Stephen. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the message of good news. Now you would think, based on everything that was going on, isn't this the last thing that people would do? If you know being a Christian can result in your death, wouldn't there be motivation to maybe keep that to yourself a little bit? Yeah, we see with this incredible persecution, and we see it modern day. In the Middle East, in Pakistan here recently, there was a woman who became a Christian, a Muslim, who became a Christian. Her brother and her father set her on fire. She died in the hospital four days later. But with that same situation, there were four men that knew this gentleman who became a Christian as well. The husband of that woman that was burned. He continued to share his faith. Several weeks after her death, four men came with faith. Are we dealing with a threat here on the home front when it comes to just religion, being Muslim, ISIS, any of these different things? Are we being threatened if we don't keep our mouth shut that we could face death because of it? This is the willingness that, that all of us should have. When we don't, it's because we're short-sighted, we're focused on the here and now, and we've lost sight of what God has laid in store for us ahead of us. Romans 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because of God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in God's righteousness it's revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Luke 9, 23, same thing. Jesus talks about the need to carry your cross, deny yourself daily. And then it says in verse 26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and of the holy angels. 
See, if we're ashamed of Jesus, Jesus will be ashamed of us. And again, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get this study on out to you. We've had a long night tonight. So you have the opportunity to finish this up on your own time. Brothers and sisters, we need to take this serious. Shouldn't have to be setting up accountability with tracking how many people you're sharing with today and how many phone numbers you've gotten. That's just like giving with a bad heart. We shouldn't be sharing out of compulsion. We shouldn't be giving out of compulsion. But we should have a sense of how awesome God is, amen? And be grateful for what God has done for us through the others that have been willing to deny self and model themselves after Jesus and give us that opportunity. How much more so, on a heart level, should we be motivated? So let's really keep this, take this to mind, keep it in heart, and be aware of what's going on around you. Amen? Jackson's got a couple closing thoughts. Okay, so Steve asked me to share a few things, so I want to make it clear that I'm addressing the sisters. In case I get a little preachy, Andy Wenji. Oh, wait, did I say that loud? Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, okay, just let's be honest, right? Uh, sometimes I share my faith because I really want to share my faith, and, uh, and I'm doing well. Sometimes I share my faith just out of sheer obedience to God. Sometimes I share my faith because I feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit and I walk away and then, I, then, then a healthy fear of the Lord comes over me and then I go back and I share my faith. Okay, I think all those are okay, you know, motivations. Um, but I want to be motivated from my heart, right? And the only way I do that is if I'm in the Word and really loving Jesus the way I signed up to. And so sisters... You know, I think what we got to think about, because I've heard this a few, from a few people, um, from a few of the women. I'm having a hard time finding people to study the Bible with this woman. Everybody's just too busy. Everybody's just so busy. And I think if we're too busy to make disciples, guys, then we're too busy. I mean, that's not okay. We signed up for seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, we, Matthew 22, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If our lives are too busy that we can't study the Bible with people... Sisters, then we are choking out, we're allowing life to choke out God. And that's not, that's not okay. Uh, you know, this isn't like, hey, if you feel like it kind of, sort of, maybe, would you please? I mean, Jesus died for us and, and tells us, go. It's not a suggestion. And, um, and I know that some of you are going to feel guilty tonight. And because you feel guilty, women didn't do this, uh, because we feel guilty, you're going to feel tempted to feel like tonight was too much or too strong or, or too harsh. And I want to remind you the words we read tonight that were Jesus' words. Okay? And go ahead and feel guilty if you're guilty. I oh, think, amen. I mean, I think we have guilt for a reason. Uh, so feel guilty, feel convicted and pricked. But then let it move you to repentance, sisters. You know, it is, it is sin if we know the good we ought to do and don't do it. Okay, you can try to dress it up however you want, but that's the truth. And when I'm not purposeful in, in sharing my faith, um, guess what? It doesn't happen. If I'm not purposeful. The church's job is to, to give us the tools, support, events to bring people to. Okay, 
we can't pick up the, the hoe and make We can give you the tools, Gina. We can give you the tools, but you got to pick it up, sisters, for yourself. And it is absolutely a salvation issue. And if you don't believe me, then you can listen to this. In Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I think, you know, we read this and we go, oh, yeah, those are the religious, religious people in the world. Sisters, we need to be careful. That's really arrogant to say that. Some of us in this room are not going to make it to heaven because we will not get out of our comfort zone and make disciples. So in closing, uh, some of you may be sticking around for discussion groups tonight. I know you've got kids that you need to get home. Uh, The thing that I'd like to recommend is that you do take the time this week to get with the individual that you have a discipling relationship with. Talk about the lesson. What are you doing good? What not so good? What are the things that you need to really repent of? And let's, let's be helping each other change in this area. Amen? I'd like to, uh, Henry, can I get you to close out with a prayer? Amen. Amen. Uh, Grab the hand of the person next to you. Let's go to our Father. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that my childhood friend reached out to me. Thank you that he persevered, that he uh, was relentless, that he opened his home, that he got others involved because he was busy working and he wanted to make sure that I could keep studying while he was working. Father, thank you for every way that you interceded, Father, to reach down very low for me. And God, because of that, it completely transformed my life at 27. I didn't have to get divorced. I didn't have to be distanced from my three daughters. I didn't have to continue alienating myself from other people. Father, most importantly, I was no longer your enemy. And God, having you as uh, my father, as the great, uh, great, kind daddy that you are, has made all the difference in my life. And Father, as I was listening to Jackie and Steve tonight, I was reflecting back on times in my life where I've been a lot closer to you, and I've been a lot more sensitive to the plight of humanity around me. God, I pray that, starting with my heart, you'll really show me how people are doing. And that, God, the things that distract me, the obstacles that I allow in my life, the things that prevent me from doing the good, not only that I know I should do, but that I actually want to do when I'm in my right mind. The Father, that those things will be cast aside so that I can draw closer to you, that I will receive more of your power, your spirit, and your direction, and that, God, I can have times of refreshing in my personal life. Father, I pray for every brother and sister in this room, I know that my situation is not unique. And God, I pray that as the words provoke, that they provoke in a way that yields to your will and produces produces repentance 
that leads to times of refreshing. Father, bless us as we go. Help us yearn to be close to you and to not give a rip about what people who don't even care about us really think. Who gives a rip? Father, let us please you. It's through Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, right here.